0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Good morning. It is Tuesday, April 28th, and you're listening to the College Football Daily, a 24-7 sports podcast dedicated to catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news. My name is Trey Scott. Today, I'm joined by Chris Hummer, national college football writer at 24/7 Sports. Chris, this is a big NCAA day on the podcast. I need your help. Are you ready to help me wade through all of this confusing word salad, press
0: release, rhetoric? I think we'll be. Uh, I think we'll be wading uh, with our boots on together. But uh, I will do my best.
1: All right. So we've got like a few things I want to talk about. I want to talk about name, image, likeness. I want to talk about the transfer vote that we're not sure is happening. Uh, so we'll just talk about our uncertainty there. And then finally, we're going to talk about a few things that have been happening in the last few weeks or in recent days, uh, especially in the sec, as far as are we heading toward a, a scenario where conferences are on their own in deciding when or whether to stage a college football season this fall. So we'll, we'll end with that, but we're going to get started with the NIL name image likeness. And the NCAA Board of Governors has meetings today. They had meetings yesterday on Monday with some news probably expected today on Tuesday uh, on name image likeness. Let me just kind of read to you, Chris, and to the listeners what Ralph Russo of the Associated Press reported last week that, quote, recommended rule changes that would clear the way for athletes to earn money from their names, images, and likeness are being reviewed by college sports administrators And those reports are being sent to the NCAA Board of Governors, unquote. And again, we might have some word on that on Monday and Tuesday. We already knew that NCAA working groups were studying how the Division I schools should change the rules regarding the athletes' ability to make money from their name to profit off their image and likeness. And they're proposing conceptual changes here uh, as to how they can do that. They could promote commercial products and services. They could sell memor- memorabilia or autographs. They could publicize appearances. They could host camps, clinics, or lessons, and they could be paid for all of those so long as they're not referencing the names of their schools in connection with these activities. So you could have Trevor Lawrence's passing camp, but you couldn't have Trevor Lawrence, or Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence's passing camp, and tre- Trevor Lawrence could not have you know the Clemson logo or the Tiger Orange like, explicitly, at his camp, and then schools would not be able to cross-reference this. Clemson could not say, hey, go to Trevor Lawrence's camp. Clemson's coach, Dabo Sweeney, could not appear at the camp. They could not help him promote the camp or market the camp, uh, but the athletes could use professional services. So, Chris, that's a lot. Let's let's break that down. And this rule change could go into effect early next year, and and the Board of Governors, they want those – that change to be voted on by January 20 of 2021, but a a vote of some sort or an announcement of some sort could like happen today.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's wide sweeping and it's remarkably forward thinking by the NCA. Although I guess you could argue that, uh, it's more reactionary than forward thinking, but it's certainly more robust than what I kind of initially kind of expected to hear from the NCA, which I thought would, uh, Kick the rock as long
1: as possible. They really had no choice though, because the governors, and this was you know Gavin Newsom a while ago. At this point, the governors were the one who forced the NCAA's hand here with specific states passing or proposing legislation. And so, like if California is going to allow this and, and Texas doesn't, like that can't be. So the NCAA did an absolute 180 here. Working group's been going on for almost a year now. Are you, you when you say robust, Chris? Are you just like surprised that? It's not just, hey, Jalen Waddell helping sell cars in a Tuscaloosa Mercedes-Benz dealership and more so like they could host a passing camp if they wanted to. And, and again, there's only a few players that could have the the clout to do that. But th- th- this is a pretty big deal. This is a, a huge selection of ways they could make money.
0: Yeah, I, I had an athletic director tell me last week it's going to be pretty eye-opening when an quarterback is worth more than an offensive coordinator. Uh, to college football. And I think that's kind of the direction we're heading with this. Like there's gonna be extreme value in the name Trevor Lawrence or Tonga Valoa if he was still in college. Um, a lot of these players in these smaller towns, like a Nebraska, for example, if you're in Lincoln and you're a football player, like you're gonna make some money. Like the fans really care. And what did, what did Nebraska have? Like six or seven hundred thousand people jump on their virtual spring game, right? Yeah. That's a that's a market that's really kind of available to be attacked if you're a college athlete and it's i think if we're going to talk about fairness and that's it's an interesting word in itself kind of these uh rules that we're seeing laid out by the ncaa make a lot of sense i've long maintained that likeness is something that should not be controlled by another entity the players having an opportunity to kind of utilize their name and their brand during this process seems like the fairest way to do it without straight up paying them or without having the colleges, which is clearly an aspect of this. They do not want the college names associated with these payments and they do not want colleges kind of being a middleman for these payments because it opens up an entire can of worms in terms of employment status. I think we're getting as close to with these recommendations as close to as kind of well as these recommendations could go based on this. And I really thought the NCAA would be a little more conservative with what they did out of the gate. But as you said, their hand was forced a bit. Um, I still well, think I, I still think this fight is going to be protracted because the NCA is going to appeal to Congress and the federal government to kind of mandate a, like a uniform rule across state lines. Because if you can't have interstate commerce, like this whole thing is messed up. So I, the battle in that aspect is not done, even if this is passed.
1: Oh really? Okay, I. that's something i didn't know so that's that's news to me but if the insulate passes this like it's
0: happening yeah but like you have to think like if florida has a more like florida's law i believe comes in the book in 2021 if their law allows for other things like technically the florida schools can abide by those rules not the ncaa rules like it's going to take some sort of i might be mistaken but this is how i've been explained it to me it would take some sort of federal injunction to kind of make this uniform state to state for the rules to kind of, um, co coalesce nationally. Oh,
1: that's, that's interesting. As I, I haven't really thought about that. I wonder, you know, it, it feels like this in proposal here. It's so good that you're like, I can't really imagine States holding out here. So, you know, that's keep looking into that. That's, that's, that's interesting. So like, You said schools can't be the middleman here, but they do have to be involved. The athletes are required to, if this passes, to disclose financial terms of contracts that they have with the individual businesses. They would have to disclose those terms to their athletic departments along with the relationships and any individuals involved. There's several ways this could affect recruiting. One of the ways is that athletes are allowed now, if this happens, this proposal to enter into agreements with Individuals deemed to be school boosters. I wonder, you know, one big question is, at what age is this relationship allowed to, to happen or to be in, begin to incubate? For instance, if Tua vailoa is an uncommitted player in Hawaii, you know, do the potential boosters for the schools recruiting him for Alabama, Oregon, and USC, do they get to be involved in the recruitment, right? Like, that's an interesting thing. Do, can they do they get to like help help with a PowerPoint, right? Like come to Alabama and here's all the opportunities you could have. That's going to be, it's going to be really interesting. It's going to be like, does do the rich get richer? Probably. But also you would think there's some midsize schools or markets with the opportunity for, yeah, players to make some good money. Like in the, like the late T Boone Pickens at Oklahoma state would have been I mean, his name would have been all over this,
0: Chris. Yeah, like, I was about to say, like, Phil Knight's going to certainly have some Nike uh, sponsorships up front for these Oregon athletes.
1: And that's interesting because Oregon's big recru- big boon under Chip Kelly, Nike was a big part of that. Phil Knight was a big part of that, right? Poured a lot of money into that school's facilities, uniform upgrades, helped Oregon be the cool school of the early 2010s. And for a long time, like, they that that's why Oregon is a national level recruiter because of Nike. So right, like does Phil Knight, or does Oregon start jockeying for the number one class in the country? Um, you know, Ohio State. Like, can they get LeBron involved? Like, not
0: that he's a booster, but like, it's it's going to be really fascinating to see what happens. It's it's going down the rabbit hole a little bit, but I think with and one of the key distinctions of kind of the report that Ralph Russo had was that boosters are allowed to be people who donate money specifically to the school are allowed to kind of essentially compensate these athletes for the name and and likeness, I think what's going to be really interesting is we're going to see a shift in the way money is allotted kind of to these schools because boosters that might have given a $5 million kind of donation over a three-year period, a lot of that money is going to be funneled with the individual players. And I think you're going to see, and it won't really matter in terms of the operation, but you're going to see college revenues go down in terms of ticket donations and kind of fundraising, and I think you'll see less facility projects. I think this is going to have kind of a cascading effect on terms of how we kind of look at college football and the arms race we see. I think the arms race will just transition into a kind of a different place.
1: Well, that, that'd that be... that. So you wouldn't want to... It's going to be interesting. Like, th- Does anyone put all their eggs in that basket? Because Barton Simmons has talked about this. It's still important to invest in facilities. <laughs> like... You know, you don't want to just outwardly find a way to get that five-star recruit a million dollars in endorsement deals. What if that five-star recruits a bust, Chris? And you didn't put that money into facilities, which helps you recruit for several years or is at least beneficial to a lot of players. That's that's one thing. Last, before we move on, you're, you've done some stories on NCAA football. You've talked to some people at EA Sports. What's the turnaround time? Like everyone's asking, like when does college football come back, Chris? If NCAA passes this name, image, likeness thing, like how, like what, what's the turnaround time for NCAA football via EA Sports?
0: Yeah, I think it would be. I think it'd be pretty rapid for that to get kind of mobilized. There's, I think there would have to be some additional kind of. Um, there's still, I think, a couple like one pending lawsuit in terms of EA Sports there, and they would have to do some settlements. But I think both parties both the players and EA Sports would be very motivated to get that game out quickly. And I, I don't know a lot about video game design, but I would imagine a lot of the assets in terms of kind of, uh, the build out for the players and stuff like that can be quickly recycled from Madden, which would essentially use the same engine. They, I would imagine have a lot of the college assets cause they've included some colleges on their recent Madden games. Like I think, uh, ea sports would be really motivated to get that game out quickly i don't know if it'd be a year i don't know if it'd be two years but i, I don't think it'd be very long until we started seeing nca football again it's exciting especially with like a ps5 coming out
1: all right well that's
0: that's 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 fun
1: the college football daily will be right back Something we know a little bit less about the NCAA transfer vote. We still have some uncertainty here. Like they could have a vote on passing this one-time transfer waiver on May twentieth, or the vote could be pushed to January. There was some uncertainty late last week. The NCAA uh, released uh, like a sort of uh, synopsis of you know what what's going on and how the COVID nineteen has affected.
0: It's, I think I think talking I think synopsis out. might be aggressive. Like if you're looking for cliff notes, this is like the poorly. Really, I don't I don't want to say poorly written. It's the very confusingly written like summary it's, by an educator as opposed to like a synopsis.
1: But no, you're right. Like it's it's hard for me to figure out, and I'm pretty good with words. Um, and it's it, it just has this chunk in the transfers section, like how transfers have been affected. Blah 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 blah. It recommend it also recommended. This is a quote. The Division One Board of Directors lift the moratorium it placed on transfer legislation last fall, and not pertinent here, in order to for the council to vote on the legislative concept in January of twenty twenty one. Unquote. So the January of twenty twenty one is like, okay, so we're not voting on this in May. We might have been supposed to vote on it, you know, in April. It got pushed to May. Now is it getting pushed to January? Some people out there, Jeff Goodman, Adam Zagoria, say, you know, quote quote some people that says like you know it could still the vote could still happen on monday do we know anything else outside of no one knows anything here
0: yeah i i admittedly am very confused by how that press release was worded and the kind of the reports that followed i think the mandatorium part is like slightly important because essentially the ncaa put a pause on transfer legislation last fall after it made a number of rule changes they said you can't talk about this and they lifted that moratorium so that means we are barreling towards a vote and the vote is expected to pass whenever it happens. Uh, The confusion is kind of when the vote's gonna take place. It was originally scheduled to take place kind of in uh, mid to late May. Uh, That originally the thought was would go into effect ahead of the 2020, 2021 academic calendar year, which is important. Because that would allow a lot of football and basketball players to enter the portal to be immediately eligible no matter what next season. I think JT Daniels, who you talked about with Greg Biggins at length last week would be the most notable example he would be eligible to go that's, find the school and play yeah, that's like
1: what i'm th- I'm thinking of like you know these kids gotta know
0: yeah and like, like JT Daniels'
1: transfer decision might hinge on whether he can be el- eligible immediately. I like I would imagine there's a ton of kids out there who are waiting to hear you know, something.
0: Uh, it's tough. Of course, they could
1: still find a way to be eligible. Chris, we saw plenty of kids f- to find that route
0: last year, but I think the NCAA did intend to, to clamp down a bit. Yeah. It's, it's tough for schools to, and players specifically, I talked to a player who's leaving Tennessee and he told me like the first question coaches ask him is, are you going to be eligible? And then his answer is essentially, I don't know. I'd have to apply for a waiver. And they're like, well, can you check on that? And he's kind of like, well, like I have to get it within your program and your compliance department to actually push that out and to know if I'm going to be able to get this waiver and to work on it. Cause not everybody can afford kind of legal counsel. So that this kind of hesitancy and this kind of gray area that we're operating in under right now is not good for anybody. So it hopefully we'll have a resolution sooner rather than later on that question. All right. The college football season, the fate of
1: it uh, with coronavirus, are we, you know, headed toward a situation where parts of the country are open while other parts aren't certainly seems like it, right? Like, your neck of the woods, Texas is opening up parts of Tennessee have opened up. That's where I live. Even in Nashville, Chris, we've got Brentwood and Franklin suburban areas in Williamson County who are opening up their restaurants. Whereas Davidson County, downtown Nashville hasn't yet. So we can easily see the United States like parts are open. Other parts aren't West coast, not open. The South is like this. Could we have a a scenario where the PAC 12 is not playing football, but the sec is playing football in 2020 There is already speculation about that and South Carolina athletic director Ray Tanner didn't really help quell any of that speculation. He mentioned on Friday to his board of trustees that the conferences quote might not be aligned in playing the sport or not playing football in 2020. He had to clarify that in an interview with CBS sports Dennis Dodd saying my point in answering the question was that everything is on the table I can't imagine that if there are certain parts of the country that are open and they're safe and the numbers are suitable, they're back to outdoor activities and congregating that they're not going to play. And, And unquote, he didn't think his comment was newsworthy. He was, I think Ray Tanner was wondering why everyone was making such a big deal out about that, but it was an athletic director essentially confirming like we could have this happening. And SEC commissioner, Greg Sankey a few weeks ago on Knoxville radio station, WNML you know, said all everything's on the table. Like they have plenty of time still to make a decision an- another month, hopefully. Um, but reminded that the conferences are their own little unions. And yes, all the conferences canceled their conference tournaments in basketball, but some of them were one day. Some of them were the other, the Ivy league was two days ahead. We saw the big East even play the first half of its games on Thursday. So anything could happen here.
0: And I think the noise might only get louder, Chris, yeah, I mean, I have no doubt like people consider that a doomsday scenario. Doomsday scenario for athletic departments is not playing college football, and losing all that revenue. I I would not. I mean, you never know what's going to happen. We're seeing parts of the country reopen, as you said, and we don't really know scientifically where this is going to go, how far away a vaccine is. Are we going to have rapid mobilization of testing soon? Like all these questions are up in the air. So like these conversations, while important, are admittedly without kind of a lot of the data that we need. Yeah, I don't I don't expect this to slow down and it's not it's not unrealistic to expect that we're going to have conversations like this. I think we're seeing, as you said, part of the country reopen at different times. And I think what's going to happen. And again, this is saying that we don't know what's going to happen scientifically. We don't know if there's going to be a rapid mobilization of tests. We do not know if we're going to have a vaccine anytime soon, but they're going to be parts of the country more motivated than others to kind of open. I was talking to UAB athletic director Mike, Mark Ingram last week for a story I'm working on and um, kind of about how college football could reopen. Uh, Brandon Marcello, Bud Elliott, and I are working on that piece. And he was telling me that the Southeast kind of is ahead of everybody else in terms of reopening. And if eight of the teams in his conference can play and the other six can't or the other six have their campus closed his essentially, his kind of message was, they need to figure it out. It wasn't like, oh, we'll work with them, or oh, we can't play football. It was, we need to figure out a way for y'all to get back on the field and play football. And I think, especially in the Southeast, where football is a priority, even for presidents, like, and that's important to note, like some school presidents in parts of the country aren't as big of a fan of football as they are in the Southeast. I think in those locations of the fo- country where football is super important, there's going to be an extreme pressure. For that to continue. And I think in those scenarios is when you could see maybe fractured restarts of the college football season or a very different college football season so it can be played. I think in parts of the country like Nebraska, which never actually closed, there's going to be a lot, a lot, a lot of push pushing of the administration and of the Big Ten in general to play football. But obviously, Nebraska is going to react quite differently to New Jersey, which has the second highest number of coronavirus cases in the country. And I think that's where you're going to see conflict. Right, because you've got two Big Ten schools. Yeah, and I think we're going to see conflict within conferences about reopening. And I think we might see region. I think Jamie Pollard is another person I talked to, Iowa State's athletic director, and he talked about potential like and this was like potential number 15 or scenario number 15, where he thought maybe Wisconsin, Iowa, Nebraska, and maybe one or two of the other schools in the Midwest maybe play football together. Like he was just throwing that as an example. He wasn't saying that's like something that's being considered. But like that's a conversation right now that is starting to happen within kind of athletic circles. And that kind of shows you where we're at in terms of this virus. Like everything is on the table. And I think a lot of these programs and a lot of these schools, especially in parts of the country where football is super important to not only the kind of university, but the town itself. Like a town like Clemson, South Carolina is Clemson, it's Clemson University. Like if that university is not functioning and playing football in the fall, and as a kind of, it has a cascading effect on the economy there. And there are plenty of schools like Auburn in the southeast where it's kind of the same thing. And there's going to be a really big push within the community for it to start. And I, I really think that's when you could start to see some of these scenarios, like football being played in some places but not in others, start to occur.
1: Really interesting stuff. A lot of unknowns. Um, we're gonna, we're gonna have a few crazy weeks uh, ahead of us to kind of see what's happening and maybe a few crazy hours to see what happens on the name image likeness thing. So thanks Chris for joining us. That's going to do it uh, for today's episode of the college football daily. If you appreciate what we're doing, we'd love a five star rating and a review on Apple podcast for our producer, Tony Levitt. for Chris Hummer. I'm Trey Scott, and we will see you on Wednesday for the next edition of the college football daily.